This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off. No survivors found. gonna die. Wait, don't shoot! Down! I lost all my men because of her! All is lost. Cries of agony. Spurs! Unity breeds power. I'm Reva DePala, the voice of Rebecca Chambers. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. I'm Ed Smarin, the voice of Barry Burton. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Three stars members left now on the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Captain Wesker, Barry, and myself. We don't know where the voice actress for Jill is. We did try to book her. Is everyone all right? Barry. Where's Barry? He's on the Crimson Head Elder fourth anniversary podcast. What was that? I'll go and check it out. I'm coming with you. Can't let Burton get all the attention. Since I returned his wife and children, he's been acting up like the captain of stars. A dining room. Welcome to the fourth Crimson Head Elder podcast. And welcome to Joe White, the voice of Chris Redfield. To Ed Smarrow, the voice of Barry Burton... Both returning, having exclusively starred on our previous podcasts. And to Peter Jessup, the voice of Albert Wesker. All three icons of Resident Evil, here to celebrate the site's fourth anniversary. We commence tonight's podcast in the Mansion Bar, with an E3 exclusive live report. In the bar, myself, George Trevor, and the Crimson Head Elder podcast panel review and debate the premiere showcasing of Resident Evil Zero HD Remaster at E3, with our man on location, Chris Redfield's voice actor, Joe White, who, with his VIP pass, will report direct from Capcom's booth and the Resident Evil Zero stage. After Joe White's E3 report, he joins Peter Jessup and Ed Smarron in the Mansion Dining Room for this evening's main attraction, an exclusive podcast interview with all three leading stars of Resident Evil Remake and Resident Evil HD Remaster. 
Our anniversary celebration ends with a rather special Crimson Head Elder podcast quiz, The Right to Be a God, when we will see which of our special guests listened the most in class to Mr. Mikami and thus knows the most about their character. Finally, a chance for Barry to unleash some revenge on Albert Wesker. Now, if you'll just head on past Ed Smarron, attending to a technical front, and into the Mansion Bar for the latest Resident Evil news at E3. Blood. Let's just hope it's not Chris's. And welcome to our coverage of Resident Evil Zero HD Remaster at E3 2015. Joining Joe White, our very special guest for this evening's Resident Evil news coverage, is myself, George Trevor, and site staff, the Oracle Dragon, and Albert Wesker 187. Those of you following our Twitter feed will have seen three live reports by our very special reporter on the day. If you're not already following us at Twitter, then may I recommend you do so now, as we will be covering future games exhibitions throughout the year, with similar live video reports to the ones that Joe exclusively recorded for us at E3 this week. The Crimson Head Elder official Twitter account is at Crimson underscore head. So please follow us at Crimson underscore head. You can also subscribe to Crimson Head Elder TV, our official YouTube channel. So if you do miss our live reports covering Resident Evil at future games events, you can watch the video as it's uploaded to our channel. You'll find us on YouTube, our channel entitled Crimson Head Elder. So on to the Resident Evil news. And there is only one Resident Evil title making the headlines, blissfully a title from the past when Resident Evil was a genuine survival horror video game. Resident Evil Zero HD Remaster will be released in early 2016, possibly March. And at the start of this week's E3 2015, Capcom brought us the first glimpses of the Ecliptic Express, brought back in glorious HD. Before we discuss with Joe White his on-location E3 report, a returning friend of the site, Rebecca Chambers actress Reva DePaola, took a quick moment from her busy schedule to bring us her first thoughts on the great news that her character will be returning, and with fully remastered sound effects, her voice that brought life to Rebecca's character will soon be heard with 5.1 surround support. Over to you, Reva. Hey everybody, I'm Reva DePala, and I played Rebecca Chambers in Resident Evil Zero. I am so excited for the Resident Evil Zero HD remaster. Watching the trailer brought back so many awesome memories. I'm so grateful to have been part of this series. It's such a cool game, and I can't wait to play it. Thank you to Reva DePaula, the voice of Rebecca Chambers, and we hope to hear much more from Reva when we broadcast our Resident Evil Zero podcast during the week of the remaster's release. 
So, the big event was E3 2015, bringing the debut showcasing of gameplay from the latest HD revival of a Resident Evil title with genuine survival horror DNA. What Capcom did provide Resident Evil Zero with, by way of presentation, was a lavish, beautifully staged replica of a single carriage from the Ecliptic Express, complete with carriage tables housing individual games terminals for up to six players. And those six players enjoyed a 20-minute times demo, as we saw in Joe's third live video report. So thanks, Joe, for reporting on location for us. Um, what would you say were some of your E3 2015 highlights? I did run into John Diamond on. John is the brand manager for Resident Evil with Capcom in Los Angeles. And he said that there may be some opportunities for us to do some more some more stuff with me based on the uh, re-release of the, the original. So hopefully that will be something that we can get on the podcast as well. Oh, that'd be incredible. And uh, I ran into him. He was there. Capcom had a booth. They had this uh, one part. They had a huge area, Capcom, because obviously they have a lot of properties that are out there. So they had areas for each of their properties. So when you got to E3, I imagine the first thing you made a beeline for was, was the Resident Evil Zero stage. We saw that mock-up of the Ecliptic Express. What was that like in person? It was a nice little booth, but it was very small. And it was nice. It was very, very well done. It was a, it was a nicely set up little, little booth. There were six tables on the inside of it that they had workstations set up and uh, people playing the HD release, which looked fantastic. But that was about it. It was just a nice little set. It looked to me like there was very little representation. One time, Joe, when you were videoing the Ecliptic Express booth, some guy came up to you and asked you if you were in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was amusing. I guess I was walking around with an air of authority. <laughs> I, I don't know why he chose me, but... Obviously, Capcom has a lot of different properties that they're, that they're selling. There was a line of people um, pretty much the whole time lined up to play it. So there obviously was a healthy interest yeah. in the game's release. And um, uh, Did you see any cosplayers or anybody recognize you? Uh, no. <laughs> Nobody ever recognizes me. I, I look like the, one of the biggest nerds in the place. That was about it. There was really no nothing else to it. They didn't have uh, any zombies walking around or anybody cosplaying any of the RE characters. So it was interesting, and you got to play the game a little bit. Uh, other than that, it was, like I said, just a part of the the Capcom experience. I mean, they ha obviously had a lot of other little areas set up for, for their other games. Yeah. And the big one was the Street Fighter stage that they had set up. It seemed to me that Capcom were maybe slightly overshadowed by the other big game developers, Bethesda and EA, and the others that had big announcements of, of big franchises, big cinema-sized sure. screens. Yeah, some of the uh, other companies had pretty major rollouts, including Disney. Disney had a, a very large area for, for the Infinity franchise, which was uh, really nice. I mean, they had a very nice setup. Uh, several playing areas for different parts of their franchises. Part of Infinity is the Star Wars world. Part of it is from the movies. They have just started rolling in the Pixar characters. Disney Infinity is their game where you can use all of the characters from the entire Disney canon to play various different types of games. So the only exposure really there was just that, that booth that had been set up as the Eclipse Express. Yeah, that was basically it. 
you know, I mean, it was it was nice, and it was in a it was on a main thoroughfare. It wasn't like they buried it. You know, they obviously are uh, are obviously putting as much effort into promoting the game as uh, as any of their other franchises. So I'm really looking forward to it. I, I was watching some of the people play, and it looks fantastic. Very clear, very crisp. The gameplay is exactly as you remember it. It's just like the uh, the re-release of my version. On the forums of Crimson Head Elder, a lot of the members were saying that Resident Evil Zero looks better than the remake. It, it does because, first of all, I think they were starting from a from a more advanced place. The graphics for Resident Evil Zero were better than the remake to begin with. I don't necessarily notice any difference in the sharpness or additional detail. The one main difference you have is that there, and being a modeler, you'll know more about this, Joe, there's a lot more free motion video, a lot more environmental effects that move. So you have these pre-rendered static backgrounds painted on in the background, but then within that, very few screens that don't have something moving in the foreground or the background. It may just be a window shutting backward and forward, or on the Ecliptic Express when the train starts moving, you've got wine bottles shifting around. In terms of Capcom's other franchises, how did Resident Evil Zero fare in terms of exposure and, and platform that they were giving over to it? Because it, it did seem to me, like you, like you mentioned, not having that big cinematic showcase, it, it did seem a little low-key. Yeah, because Capcom also had a really big trailer of Street Fighter V, and I think most people were probably going towards that. It was a little low-key, but, but like I said, there was a line of people waiting to play the game. So the interest is there. Obviously, there were people who were familiar with the franchise and, and uh, you know, thought it was worthy of their standing in line to wait to actually sit down and play the game for a bit. Was there a buzz of excitement from the people playing? Did, did you feel that it was getting quite a, a generally good response? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, there were some there were some hardcore people standing around there just, you know, salivating <laughs> to play. No, no pun intended. Salivating like zombies <laughs> to sit down and play the game. These are the original games, and there's a whole new a whole new group of people who are going to come in and play those. People who were too young to play them when they first came out are now going to be turned on to these these games. So it's definitely going to widen the fan base for these games. You know, hopefully the response will lead them to make another game in the vein of the original games. That's what I'm hoping for. I hope it brings them back to to where they came from, and. You know, with with Shinji Mikami not being involved anymore, it's it, it, you're going to have to find someone else to to bring that kind of vision to those games, and I'm not sure that that person exists at Capcom right now. Unfortunately, we've not even had the consistency of just a, a single figurehead like Shinji, and I think that's been the problem that there's there's always been the teams have always shifted in and out of teams, different development teams, different yeah. different directors. So you unfortunately in recent times you've had a series that's felt like each individual game's almost been a standalone and a different genre to its predecessor. Yeah. Um, but the, the the remake the game that you were involved with Joe has shifted well over a million units. And the Resident Evil Zero HD has very much only come about from the success of that HD remaster that you were involved with. And now all eyes on whether they're going to make a Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil 3 HD release. That concludes the Resident Evil news for this podcast. Joe White will now join myself, George Trevor... The Oracle Dragon, Albert Wesker 187, and Crimson Head Elder, together with the voice actors for Albert Wesker and Barry Burton, Mr. Ed Smarron, and Mr. Peter Jessup in the Mansion Dining Room.
Good evening. Welcome to our fourth podcast, a very special celebration for Crimson Head Elders' fourth anniversary. And what a team we have for you tonight. Not one, not two, but three members of STARS. Joining us once more, we have... Go STARS! (laughs) Joining us once more, we have Ed Smarin, beloved voice of Barry Burton, one of the most popular characters across the franchise, spanning almost 20 years. Again, generously joining us for the second time, Chris Redfield actor, Joe White. Hi there. Who also holds the prestigious mantle of Resident Evil title announcer from the start of each game. (laughs) And last, but certainly not least, I'll be careful what I say. I can feel his cold, insidious stare piercing... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Christ. That was quite unnerving. (laughs) Yes, piercing through those jet black sunglasses... We're privileged to have the voice of series antagonist supreme, Albert Wesker, Mr. Peter Jessup. Hello. Gentlemen, your voices are icons of Resident Evil. From me, all our site residents, and your thousands of fans across the world, thank you very much for joining us, and welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. It's good to be here. You know, I'm, I'm, and I didn't say hello when you announced my name, so hello! <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get those in there while you can, uh, Ed, because Paul... Never stops talking. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we've got some questions for you guys that have come in from the community. We've got the Oracle Dragon from Pennsylvania. She's going to be asking some questions. Salutations, everyone. And also from the site, we have staff member Albert Wesker 187. This is Albert Wesker 187 calling from Texas. And it's an honor and a privilege and a blessing to meet all three voice actors. Um, I have a few questions were posted on the forum for all you all, and I hope you're able to answer them. We've got over in Darkest, Dankest Wells. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> Where did I get the crappest intro? Thanks, George. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Crimson Head Elder asking some questions. First question comes in from Yoke. And as Yoke's first question matches word for word the opening lines of ill-fated Robert Kendo, we thought we would get the man himself to ask it who are you what are you doing here well i'll go first (laughs) (laughs) this is uh this is chris redfield from hollywood california well almost not really north of california north of hollywood california um i am currently working um as an artist at disney working on games actually um and um working closely with uh disney interactive and uh, working on a series of educational apps for kids and um, and auditioning like crazy. I just uh, auditioned for uh, a new version of the Jetsons. I don't know if uh, Peter or Ed got those sides as well. But uh, I did. What did, I did. You, what did were you auditioning for George? For uh, George and uh, Elroy. Excellent. I auditioned for Mr. Spacely. <laughs> nice. You did perfect for that. We should all book that. There you that go. Awesome. Who's next? Oh, yeah, we're talking about what we're doing. Uh, hey, what are you doing, Ed? This is Ed, and I am living in Chicago, working uh, at a theater, doing a... Uh, I'm actually a musical director for a sketch comedy theater called the Mission Theater, owned by two of the greatest improvisers in the world, T.J. Jagodowski and David Pasquese. Uh, and they're directing our show, which is called uh, Undressed. And we just uh, opened it last month. So I'm doing that uh, several days a week and, um, you know, run around doing, like, voiceover auditions and not a whole lot of, of, of acting anymore. 
uh, at least not on stage or anything like that. And uh, but lots of other stuff to keep me busy. And there's a lot of work in Chicago. Chicago yeah. rock. In in 2000, uh, I was in an improv group called the Impromptones, and we were one of the one of the headline acts at the Chicago Improv Festival. One of the best times of my life. It's become a huge thing, and uh, there's just just more and more people. Uh, they're doing it now. It's 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 mind boggling how many people are in Chicago doing improvisation. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's the improv city. It's where Second City started. They were the first ones to really do it. That's it for me. All right, so <laughs> I guess it's my turn. This is Peter Jessa. I my day job basically is doing voiceover, uh, primarily commercial work, but I do some cartoons, uh, video games. I got a couple that just came out last year. Um, a game called Evolve. Yep. Ah, nice. nice. And I am I am Bucket, the snarky British robot, <laughs> and the AI for the ship. Can you give us a line? That wasn't <laughs> on my list of questions. Uh, <laughs> well, I think one of them is he sees uh, it's an intelligence that they've downloaded into a repair droid, and they've fixed him up with all these weapons, and he's hunting monsters on a planet. Is the premise of the game. While he's shooting at the monster, he says, well, turns out I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> so that was... Is, is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how my mother wants me to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one I did was called Destiny. Oh, Jeez. Which, nice. which is a great game. I've been playing that actually quite a bit. And uh, oh. I'm if you play as an Exo, which is one of the character races that you can be... Mm. Uh, I am your voice if you're a male EXO. You've got the English accent in your roster, and it's been observed in the past that your delivery of Wesker's lines in Resident Evil do have a faint English tone to them, although that may be more due to the cool and calm cadence that you deliver those lines with. And yet I do it without any sort of uh, British dialect at all. It's mm. straight American. The other, Richard Waugh, I know, sounds a little British. See, to my ear, I find it quite subtle. It doesn't come across... D.C. Douglas, who voices Wesker now, I, I find that just a just kind of more more sort of stereotypical of of, of a villain, and and it seems quite concentrated the voice, you know, uh, yeah, less subtle. Uh, but that that may be the brief that that he was given because the gameplay in in Resident Evil Five is is quite quite a different pace to, to yeah. remake. Okay, well, mo <clears throat> moving on, uh, another question from Yoke: How do you guys like to relax at the end of a hard day's voice acting? My evening after helping with homework and making dinner and whatnot, uh, I will go sit in my backyard with my iPad and uh, watch Netflix. That's how I relax at the end of the day. I was hoping for something a bit more evil. Well, I smoke a cigar <laughs> sometimes. That's oh, there we go. Yeah. And, also, and it also depends what you're watching on Netflix. Um, exactly. Yeah. I have three teenage boys, so television, actual television time is at a premium in my house, so... <laughs> I give them the TV and I get a little privacy, so that's nice. Yeah, I found that stuff gets all backed up for me. I have sort of pretty much given up on, on DVRing or, or, or binge watching or gathering up lots of TV shows to watch at one time. That just never happens for me. I'll usually have my iPad, you know, binge watching all of season four of Walking Dead or whatever whatever binge watching thing I'm watching at the time. And I can sort of have that on on the side while I'm working, you know, because I'm I, uh, I'm a modeler and a texture painter at Disney, and um, so it's nice to have that little 
sort of uh, white noise drone on in the background. So I do actually binge watch a lot of stuff. I watched the entire uh, seven seasons of Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally dismissing Buffy. Um, You're you're a Walking Dead fan. Oh, yeah. And Orphan Black is my personal favorite right now. Oh, my gosh. Orphan Black. Sometimes I will just sit around and play the piano. That is very fulfilling to my soul. Even though I do a lot of that for a living, when I get to do just when I get to just make up stuff, that's really good for my mind. It must be so wonderful to express a creative talent that you have in a professional sphere as well. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's great, and it's great to have people there, uh, paying audience, listening and applauding and stuff. But even the stuff that nobody hears, it feels really good. Hey Ed, yeah, do you play? keyboards for uh for musical improv um i have in the past currently i'm not but i i have done it a lot in the past i'm thinking of an idea for a show i I don't know what it is yet but it has something to do with improvising musically uh this is what we played the chicago improv festival with was um the impromptones was uh three singers and and michael pollock on the piano We, we would couch it as a a lounge act and we would take suggestions from the audience and make up funny songs based on the on the suggestions. But everything was musical. We later went on to form a group called the Newtonics. And if you do a search on YouTube for Newtonics, I think one of our videos from a show we did in Austin, Texas. Fascinating that you're you're doing all the improv stuff out there. Wish I could join you. Someday we can do this. <laughs> Resident we Evil the musical. Resident Evil the musical, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. Nobody else is doing it. I can think of about 10 different words that rhyme with Raccoon City, too, so that's good. (laughs) Let's do it. We can set the whole thing in Spencer Mansion. We'll have dancing zombies. Come on. This thing writes itself. (laughs) Right. Well, we, we better move on. This question comes in from staff member of the site USS Command. Were any of you guys familiar or aware of the franchise before you started work on Remake? For me, and this is Ed, not very much. I got a real good rundown about it from my agents. Maybe that helped me get the job. But uh, I, I, I was not really that familiar with this particular project uh, before I started, no. This is Joe. I actually did not know anything about Resident Evil beforehand. I came into that project through a side door. You know, I, I did actually didn't even audition for it. My wife was working uh, as the office manager at Sound Deluxe uh, in Hollywood when they were doing all of the sound there for the remake. And I happened to be there one day. And... Uh, uh, Carol, who was the, the the casting person on the thing, uh, said, "Well, you know, you're a, you're an actor, Joe, and I, I had been doing acting at the time." Uh, she said, "Would you like to read for this part?" Uh, basically, what they wanted me to do was try to voice match the actor from the '96 version, and I was able to match him very well. Our, our voices were were very similar. That was how I got the gig. It wasn't Shinji Mikami, but there were two Japanese gentlemen from Capcom there, and they listened and liked what I was doing. And so they said, well, would you like this part? And I, I just said, of course, so. of course, a, a part's a part. I'll, I'll be glad to take it. Had no idea that I was stepping into such big boots. Do you have to remember what dialogue it was you read? Did you read the original or was it the script for a remake? 
it was something to do with the the big plant. What was it? Plant thirty. Um, Plant forty two. Plant forty two. Yes, uh, it was something with that scene. And uh, so I, I did some of the lines, and then they also wanted to hear my my ability to scream. <laughs> <laughs> Can you grunt? Can you yell? Can you breathe hard? Can you pant? <laughs> exactly. I, uh, this is Peter. I didn't know much about Resident Evil. I'd, I'd heard of it. I'm a, I'm a gamer. I have been for decades now. Oh. So I was looking for reasons to work on video games because when you work on video games, then – you have an excuse as an adult to play them. May I ask why you weren't aware of this franchise in terms of the genre you went into survival horror? Well, at that point, you know, video games were still very rudimentary. And the thing that intrigued me about this one, when I saw the initial copy to, to audition, they said, this is going to be a very cinematic video game. I, I tend to prefer like uh, RPGs, that kind of thing. You know, having done it, of course, now, then I got interested in the whole genre as well. But but no, I didn't know much about the game. I, I'd heard of it. I hadn't actually played it, which actually turned out to be a good thing because I was not influenced by any mm. of the previous voice work and got to just sort of do my own thing with it. I don't think any of us had any idea at the time how iconic it was going to be. When it hit me was when I, uh, after I had done the game, after the game came out, uh, I still was rather unaware of, of what, what, the, what the big deal was until I walked into a, uh, I think it was a GameStop in the Glendale Galleria. There was a big standee of Chris Redfield holding a, a, a pistol, and, and uh, they had little standees on the uh, the counter. And one of them had Chris Redfield with that, that iconic pose with the pistol in it. Now, did you, sh- did you shout and point, that's me, that's me? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't point and shout, but I did. I did walk up to the owner of the store and I said, look, um, I did the voice of that character. Can I, when, when this all calms down, could I possibly have that? And he, he put my name on the back and said, sure, yeah, I'll give you a call when we're ready to change out the, uh, the stuff in the store. Oh. And he did. And he, he, he called me up and I went down and picked it up and I had this little, this little standee. Oh. I'll have, to try, I'll have to try that. I'll have to try it in my local game <laughs> That's store. great. <laughs> Do you still have it? I actually, I, I met someone at Disney who is an, uh, a Resident Evil freak. When she found out I was the voice of Chris Redfield, she just about exploded. Uh, and so I said, you know, it, it, the the thing has been in a box in my garage for so many years, and I just, I'm never going to, you know, display it or put her out, put it out or anything. So I said, hey, I've got this thing. Would you like it? And I th- I. I think she could probably have powered an entire city. I now know what, what real celebrities must feel like when they give someone a T-shirt or sign someone's breast and it just changes their life, you know. <laughs> no, no, no breast signings for you, Joe. You just have to give no, them cardboard cutouts. Now, voice actors very rarely get that kind of request. <laughs> okay, next question that's come from Yoke. Were any of you guys horror film fans or fans of horror in the in, in the wider genre? More sci-fi than horror. I was always a big Twilight Zone fan and Hitchcock and stuff like that. So probably more that than horror for me. I like a good horror film, but I I, I find uh, I find most of them so formulaic now that there's really no uh, there are no surprises left in the horror genre for me in most movies. What pulled me into remake wasn't necessarily gore and blood, but was very much more a, a an atmosphere of melancholy and an investigation, trying to find out what, what had gone in the past and the human tragedy rather than any actual moments of, of, of gore. A classical mystery novel with zombies. Yeah. Yes. I'll get that too. There were there were a couple of. I was a PC gamer rather than a console gamer, which is another reason why 
I was late to the party with Resident Evil, but there were games like uh, Seventh Guest. Old man Stauff built a house and filled it with his toys. Six guests were invited one night. Their screams, the only noise. Blood inside the library, blood right up the hall, dripping down the attic stairs. Hey, guests, try not to fall. In the 11th hour that were very sort of creepy mystery games uh, yeah. which I, I love those state police have called off the intense search for producer Robin Morales Morales was researching a story about the famed haunted house the abandoned mansion of Henry Stauff Police have expressed concern that Morales' disappearance may be connected to a series of killings that have plagued the Hudson Valley this year. So far, four women and three men have been victims, fitting a pattern of homicide, and several others are missing. I'm a horror fan as well, but I'm more like, I like more like the psychological thrillers like Black Swan, Shutter Island. Those are the type of movies that I like because they play with the psyche a lot. I did enjoy uh, the, the, what was the island one that you mentioned? Uh, Shutter Island. Shutter Island, yeah, I did enjoy that. I, I love what, I love movies where they're, and, and this goes back, uh, Peter, also to our previous conversation about Resident Evil. I like the psychological aspect of horror, much more so than demons or, uh, yeah. you know, things like that. I like it when it's, when, uh, I love the twist in uh, that Bruce Willis movie, um, Sixth Sense at the end when you when you suddenly realize that he's dead. I hope I'm not blowing it for anybody who hasn't seen the film. But oh, man. <laughs> the thing that marks remake above really any of its peers and predecessors is the fact that it relies on the atmosphere rather than mindless shooting to get its thrills for the player. You're having to conserve ammo, and the pace is therefore slowed down, and you're actually having to think. Basically planning for your next move, like yeah. a game of chess. Yeah. One of the things I like about the remake, playing the remake, and I've played it I don't know how many times now, is I find myself in situations, because I'm not a professional gamer my my gaming skills are rudimentary at best, but I like it when I find myself in a situation where I have two bullets left and I know that the next thing that I have to do in order to move forward in the game requires me to fight some monster or whatnot. And I have to figure out how the hell I'm going to solve this one problem to get the next piece using what I have left. I, you know, it, it, usually it takes... 15 or, or 30 tries to get past whatever the object is. But I like that. I like the having to, well, that didn't work. What do I do now? Let's see. What if I run around this way and shoot, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you should try Last of Us, Joe. I think you'd enjoy that game. I, I love Last of Us. I played that. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's great. Great. This question comes from James Marcus. He would like to know if any of you guys had known each other prior to working on Resident Evil, or maybe you'd worked on other projects before or even since. I just met all you guys for the first time tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Nice nice to meet you, Ed. (laughs) Well, Peter and I had dated, but we didn't really know each other until... (laughs) Actually, Joe and I met at the launch party 
for the relaunch of the remake uh, a few months ago. Ah. And uh, that was a, that was a very interesting, um, very interesting evening. Yes, it was. uh, We were, we were there and essentially nobody at the party knew who we were uh, (laughs) because they, they never said, Hey, everybody, look, it's the voice of, uh, Wesker and, and Redfield, you know, they, they, we were, we were not pointed out. They had uh, a little table set up for us. They treated us well. And they John, treated us very nicely. Very, very nice people. The place was packed to the gills. You could hardly move through it. To, to their benefit, they had us in the very front room as you entered. And it was so loud that I had asked if we could move to a quieter area. <laughs> so they moved us to the back and, uh, <laughs> I, my one chance at celebrity and Peter blew it. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. Yeah, I was hoping that they would let us do some lines. You know, I mean, uh, that they would give us a, a little bit of script to do live because I think that would just be hysterical. Yeah, that'd be. Uh, was there anybody else at the the party from the game? Or was it just yourselves? Just well, Richard was there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant Richard Wall was there. I was like, yeah, really? that's what, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about him. I was thinking about Richard from the game, and Joe voiced him too, so. Yes. <laughs> Richard's voice in the game is basically just Chris Redfield with a hernia. <laughs> you. Chris Redfield, Alpha Team. We're here to rescue you. Richard, what the hell happened to you? Chris this place get your team out of here demons everywhere don't talk he seems to have been bitten by a poisonous snake but the size of the bite mark is huge it's not just any ordinary snake take my word for it he needs serum I left it in another room I'll go get it Please hurry. Hold on. I'll be back. Hope this is what you wanted. Thank you. I'm gonna give you a shot now, Richard. Hang in there. Here. Take it. It's a radio. Take care of yourself, Rebecca. Richard! It's good that, that the Oracle Dragon mentions Richard because that brings us on nicely to the next question. It, it's going to reference the disparity that, that, that you may have between character, background, backstory, biography that you would receive if you were playing Albert Wesker, Barry Burton, Chris Redfield in, in, in film, in, even in, in a TV drama, compared to what you may receive, what little you may receive, voicing these characters. These aren't one-dimensional video game characters. You, you talk there about Richard Aiken, a very minor character, so minor, in fact, that, Joe, all your, your brief is effectively making him sound different to Chris Redfield. And you were surprised when we told you what a huge backstory such a, a side character has in terms of uh, letting his, his sister down and how that's referenced in the gameplay when he feels responsible for, for other players because he felt that he let his sister down previously. What, if any background information biographies were you guys furnished with your characters to you know to then allow you to imbue them with these character traits i don't recall getting any sort of backstory we did get a chance i got a chance to read through the full script before i recorded 
So it gave me an idea of who the character was. But initially, I didn't realize that I was the villain. I thought I was just the team leader. <laughs> so all of the early scenes with Wesker being the team leader, that's just me being the team leader. Well, that's it. That, that's fascinating because a, a lot of people will reference that your your fans why they particularly may prefer earlier versions of Wesker maybe than the, the latter versions is that cool calmness that doesn't give it away when betrayal happens towards the end it's not obvious from the start because there isn't that sort of stereotypical sneaky villain that, that you right know. huh that's really interesting I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and play it now did you record in yeah. sequence <laughs> I think we did yeah yeah I think I think we did too so I'm, I'm going to be interested to go back now and play it and, and listen to how your performance evolved. Interesting. I, I was not given anything other than the previous guy's recording, but they said, you know, can you voice match this? And that was basically my, my job was to be you know, this, this officer or this agent, whatever the stars agents are um, in this, in this you know, horrific situation. So I just played to that. And it was after a while, after doing the voice for a while, um, they gave me a lot more latitude. At one point, they finally said, you know, we like what you're doing naturally as opposed to trying to match, to voice match all the previous stuff. So just go ahead and be yourself and bring, you know, do the character the way you want to do it. And Joe, do you remember whether you were asked to voice match with the Chris Redfield character from Code Veronica X or from the first Resident Evil? The first uh, Resident Evil. It seems a little different for me. What I remember is that it, it was less of a voice match than it was kind of a voice replacement. Uh, I think that they, they wanted someone else to bring a little something different to this thing. Uh, and they give, they might have given me a little background in it. I don't remember getting a whole lot. Uh, I will say that Barry is the kind of character that I used to get auditions for anyway, like on camera and theater. Barry! What is it? Look out! It's a monster! Let me take care of it! What the hell is this thing? I found Kenneth. Killed by this thing. Let's report this to Wesker. Wesker! Jill, help me look for him. Let's not leave this hall. Good idea. Jill? No, nothing. What's going on around here? I can't figure it out. Same here. Chris, and now Wesker. There's not much we can do. We can search for him separately. I'll investigate the dining room again. Okay, then. I'll try the door on the other side. <sighs> this mansion is gigantic. We could easily get lost. Let's start from the first floor. Okay. Oh! I almost forgot. It's a lockpick. You'd make better use of it. Listen, if something happens, let's meet up in this hall. Got it? Okay. And were you given the opportunity 
to view any gameplay, whether before or maybe during the lines, to get an idea of, of the degree of, of violence that's happening to your character, or to at least get the opportunity to see the, the responses of the character that you're having the, the interactions with. I got to watch some of the cutscenes, but mm. none of the actual, just a couple of very quick cutscenes. I had to do the uh, the plant scene. I had to match my impact sounds, the oofs and the uhs, to the plant thrashing around the room. There's that sequence where Chris gets picked up by the plant and tossed around the room. You know, they had that animation playing on a TV screen, and I had to match my impact sounds to the animation that was there. Rebecca! It's no use! The roots are in the basement! You can... Take that file! It'll tell you how to make the potion to kill this thing! Use it on its roots! Hurry! That was yeah, a lot of fun, by the way. Yeah, it's very <laughs> Yeah, that's a great scene. Barry did it better. <laughs> he burned it! <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is this thing? Jill! Ah! <laughs> What was that? What the hell's going on in this place? Testament to all three of you, your your performances, that you aren't given that kind of level of support where your character may be emotionally, that whole blackmail going on between, with Wesker, blackmailing Barry over his family. So for me, that, that you don't get that extra direction. I, I take my hat off to you for the performances that, that you then produced. In terms of whilst you're in the, in, the, in the recording studio, can I ask of what sort of level of interaction you would have had with Capcom staff, in particular Shinji Mikami? Um, I remember my sessions were, yeah, those guys were in there. What, what was that woman's name? Carol? Yes, uh, Carol Rougier. Uh, she was there. And uh, there was a lot of dialogue between the Capcom people. I think there was a lot of interaction between us, as far as I remember, as far as, far as what we yeah, wanted, yeah. what we're going to change, and uh, maybe changing this line because it sounds kind of awkward and funky. But what you know, what, what would you say, and what's you know, what's what's a little bit smoother or more more succinct? Yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Yeah, the original script that we got was translated from the Japanese by someone Japanese. A lot of the dialogue initially was very cumbersome. Mm. Part of Carol's job, and to her credit, she stood up for a lot of it, was to try and make it sound as American as possible. Yeah. Well, she she did a good job because there are references to the previous game that you guys are taking over from being almost B-movie-esque with some quite awkward pauses and silences. But it's interesting to know that perhaps with that interaction that you had from the directors, that Capcom were trying to maybe imbue more integrity, but a bit more of a serious tone than came across in 96. Well, they did. They wanted to make it more cinematic, and they were very specific about that. Well, those are my questions. 
Albert Wesker 187, you're up. The first question asks, what were some of the greatest challenges you all faced during your portrayal of these characters? Not knowing all that much going in, um, I think a lot of it was, I don't want to say on the fly, because I got a lot of direction. I I guess the challenge was getting this stuff the way they wanted it, because it it seemed like a a very important project that they really wanted done in a specific way and really wanted to come through for them. I'm going to say that was my biggest challenge. I agree. I didn't even get the script before we started recording. I had a few minutes to look over what what the lines were that were coming up next. And so developing a character over that time, I I had a very short period of time to to think about what I wanted to do with the character. At first, I wasn't even given that latitude. And once they said, you know, just we like what you're doing naturally, just go, just do what you want to do. um, I had to make some, some fast decisions as to who this guy was to me. You know, of course, at the same time, you have to hit the direction. And uh, it really was kind of a a game of telephone. The guys who were in the booth from Japan would talk to Carol, and Carol would interpret that and tell me in the booth what they wanted to hear. And so it was really kind of a secondhand, uh, you know, Carol did a great job of interpreting. In retrospect, I have an idea of of what I was going for as more of an everyman, you know, stuck in a, a crazy situation than a superhero. Again, the guys from Capcom were very specific about what they wanted, so they were they took their time with it. One of the things that makes you know, your your delivery of Chris's lines contextually works better for me is the fact that he wasn't Captain America storming in there. However experienced he was as a Stars team member, this was quite a unique situation for him. You're our footsteps through the mansion, and so it would I think it would almost break the tension if if, if you there was too much confidence in your voice. I agree. You know, you you're, you don't want to go on. There's no reason to go on this journey with someone that you know is going to win. Uh, Resident Evil 6 is so cinematic and such a hero story. The way Chris is presented in Resident Evil 6, you pretty much know that he is a superhero going into this thing. And that his jo- you know his job is more taking care of his men than it is wondering whether Chris is going to make it through. And uh, I think that that takes away a certain amount of the tension for the player. Chill! Come on! Chris, this way! Look for that mansion! There are only three STARS members left now. Captain Wesker, Jill, and myself. We don't know where Barry is. M. Greg asks, if Chris knew more about Albert and why he is the way he is, would his opinion of him change? They never really got to sit down and have a consolatory, non-confrontational conversation. If there are any comic fans among you, I'd be able to compare this to the end scene between Batman and the Joker and the Killing Joke. That's a very existential question. <laughs> That's a, that is a level of uh, psychology that we just don't get into. We never really as actors uh, have the luxury of the amount of time to sit down and and discuss backstories and things, um, especially in video games. Now you might do something like that with a film and certainly with, I think with a play, you would definitely spend time doing that. You would, you would actually spend time doing a lot of other exercises to develop your backstories and your, your relationships with other characters. But uh, in video games, you've—I—I <laughs> I have never had that opportunity to actually explore the psychology of the character. It's pretty much go. But I think you know, just thinking about wh- who I was as Chris Redfield, 
uh, and what I tried to bring to the character, I like to think that he, that he would maybe change his opinion a little bit. He he seems like a you know my my Chris Redfield is a is a thinker. I think he's a he's a bit of a philosopher, if you will, and I think that he would uh, he would at least listen to Wesker's uh, story, and uh, you know try not to prejudge. <laughs> at the end of the day, he'd still want to kill him, but you know. Right, because I did murder a lot of people, so... Yeah, there was the whole murdering thing, but, you know... Hey, are you going to apologize to Chris Wesker, are you? Are you going to apologize for beating him up so many times? He likes it, so... (laughs) (laughs) See, that's a whole other side of of our relationship that we don't really want to go into, but... Did you approach your roles with the belief that you would be voicing these characters over a series of more than one game? I sure did. <laughs> I think I think that's always your hope on a game like that, that you always hope that you're going to do the sequels if there are sequels. Yes. But you can never expect it. They were very close to the vest about what was going on with the, the game and as a franchise. In fact, I, I we weren't told, I believe at the time, that this was a, re, a direct remake of the original Resident Evil. I had assumed that this was another installment of Resident Evil. I actually did know that they were remaking it. I, re- I remember them saying, you know, this is a, a remake of the original because they, they had spoken, you know, they said we're re- redoing this because the, the previous voiceover was less than what we had hoped. Were you the only actor that was played his character's previous incarnation in the 96 version? Peter and Ed, they, you, you weren't shown your character's previous portrayal, were you? I don't recall. I don't believe I was. Uh, I don't think so. What did you feel about other voice actors taking over your respective roles, and can you discuss the reasoning behind these decisions? I would like this opportunity to tell Peter Jessup he knows a cool, detached character of Wesker with his calm yet authoritative, distinctive tone. I wish Capcom had stayed with Peter for Resident Evil Zero, and this was also asked by Nemesis. As far as that goes, I, I mean, they they started with Richard Wall before me, and then he continued after I did the the remake. I was never really told why. I've had people ask me in the past, why didn't you do the other games? And the, the main reason is they never asked me. You know, I would have been happy to. When when DC was approached to play the role of Wesker, they gave him, uh, they played him a voice clip of me and a voice clip of Richard Waugh and said, can you combine these two voices? He called me and he said, I'm reading for the role of Albert Wesker in Resident Evil. Is that okay with you? And I laughed. I laughed at him. I was like, come on. This is this is a business where people get recast all the time. Yeah. And huh. and you can't hang on to any particular character that you've played. I think DC has done a wonderful job. I think he's a very talented guy, he's a good friend of mine. And uh so I told him I said absolutely go for it. And can you take away one doubt of me that I've been having because I heard some rumors circulating around the internet, Mr. Jessup, that when you did your voice for Wesker that you put marbles in your mouth to make it sound He's <laughs> not the godfather. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I, I, yeah. not I did not, in fact, put marbles in my mouth, no. <laughs> That's yeah. the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> i got to try that now, though. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna, I, was gonna, I was just going to say, what, what websites are you visiting, David? It was in Resident Evil Wiki. I mean, I visited a lot of Resident Evil websites, and that's when I heard about the marble thing. I was like, "Well, it's not at Crimson Head Elder." I can tell you. No, that. no, it's not. A, it's not at Crimson Head Elder. You can file that under Urban Legend. <laughs> yeah, that, that will be. We'll update Snopes.com tonight with exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> Wesker. Thank you, Barry. 
Well, what do you know? Oh, don't blame Barry for everything. I hear that his better half and two lovely daughters will be in danger if he doesn't do everything I tell him to. <sighs> Wesker, you're pathetic. Well, you shouldn't worry too much, dear. You'll be free of all this anyway. Why eliminate stars? Believe it or not, that's Umbrella's intention. <sighs> You're just a slave of Umbrella. Smart girl. But I think you misunderstand me. The things you mention are nothing. I'll burn all of them along with this entire laboratory. Barry, go up on the ground and wait there. Barry? <laughs> you gotta love Barry. He must really be afraid of Umbrella. You and Umbrella took his family, you bastard. Oh. Umbrella? Well, I used some carrots and sticks to cow him, but it had nothing to do with Umbrella. I just used Barry for my personal interests. Though both you and Barry seemed to think I was following Umbrella's orders. What? What are you planning? I guess it's time for show and tell. Another question from M. Greg. What does Ed think about his character's portrayal in Revelations 2? Well, that's a tough thing to answer. It's, it's somebody else doing a job, and I'm not a guy who can critique someone else's work. Jill. Barry, I heard someone talking. Oh, you heard. I think age is starting to take its toll. Talking to myself is becoming a bad habit. Talking to yourself? You all right? What's gotten into you? I'm getting you worried, aren't I? But don't be worried. I guess this creepy mansion has gotten to my nerves. Anyway, I think I'll go outside, get some fresh air for a change. Don't worry. I'm just going to get some fresh air. I'm lucky I'll get to waste some monsters along the way. Barry! Forgive... me? No, you're not to blame. It's Umbrella and Wesker. Even if it meant my family, I couldn't bear turning my back on my friends again. Shit! Here's the next question. This is for uh, Mr. White. How do you feel Chris's voice has changed over the game from original to Resident Evil 6, or has it stayed the same? Oh, it's changed a lot. He's much more of a superhero now. Um, and I, I think that's the direction that they wanted to take the game. For the, even the difference between 5 and 6. 6 is very superhero. 6 is very The Rock. <laughs> and I think that's wrong. I don't, I, I don't agree with that direction. But yeah, it's not my game, of course, but... I just why why put that guy in a situation where he's just gonna kick ass and take names and and nothing could hurt him. If you had continued to play Chris in further games, what direction would you have liked to see his character's personality and storyline take? Well, I, I would have liked to see him remain uh, a human being. He would certainly come away from the Spencer Manson experience a much wiser Stars agent. Having dealt with all the stuff that he dealt with at the Spencer Mansion, he would certainly be changed as a person. I think um, 
it, it seems to me that that all of those uh, experiences that he had were the first time that he was having those experiences. I mean, even the the, the prologue going into it, you know, was that uh, there, you know, there were stories in town of uh, at least a dozen families being uh, murdered and, and the corpses were eaten. So it was all kind of new to him at that point. I would like to think that he'd come away a little more prepared, maybe not so easily shaken. You know, I, I, I could see a, a potential storyline where the upper management at Stars doesn't believe him. Doesn't you know because the mansion's blown up, all the evidence of all this stuff is blown up. Um, that they wouldn't believe that him when he says, you know, I saw, I saw zombies, I saw crimson heads, I saw these crazy things. You know, um, it could be also a storyline where he has to now fight to prove his his credibility. He has to establish proof that he went through the things that uh, that he went through. You know. I would like to have seen the character remain a human being, remain a, a viable person in the, in the real world, as opposed to becoming just another kind of uh, run-and-gun superhero. Alpha Team is flying around the forest zone, situated in northwest Raccoon City, where we are searching for the helicopter of our compatriots, Bravo Team, who disappeared during the middle of their mission. Bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in Raccoon City. There are outlandish reports of families being attacked by a group of about 10 people. Victims were apparently eaten. The Bravo team was sent in to investigate, but we lost contact. Look, Chris! Bravo team's helicopter was a derelict. Save for the remaining body of Kevin. We continued our search for the other members, and it turned into a nightmare. There has been much debate on this issue, which the Oracle Dragon will come to next after I first asked Peter. Bloody Eye asks, what is your opinion that makes your portrayal of Wesker different from the other versions? Wow, that's a very good question. The way I looked at Wesker when I started the character was that he was sort of a no-nonsense, kind of paramilitary cop kind of guy, and really sort of played him that way the whole time. Obviously, as it goes on, you find out that there's, yeah, there's a dark side, there's an undercurrent of, of something going on, and that he's manipulating Barry and... and you know, doing all kinds of nefarious stuff. But I think that the byline for the way I wanted to play Wesker was that he doesn't lose his cool. You know, there's no screaming. There's no big displays of histrionics. He was a very calm, kind of cool character. Those are all my questions, and thank you to all the voice actors for answering them. There's a lot of interesting answers, and now the Oracle Dragon. This is the Oracle Dragon. I'm from the United States, lost somewhere in the middle of the woods. <laughs> It's a great pleasure and honor to meet you guys with three memorable characters. Here at Crimson Head Elder, we have questions for you, and I want you to pay attention, because here comes the first one. Albert Wesker is played masterfully by you, Peter, who has the three C's, cool, calm, and collective. Did you think this cadence for Albert Wesker would have been the most suited instead of the angry, obsessive, and obnoxious version of Wesker from Resident Evil 5? Which, without the three C's, had no mystery to his presence? That's really hard for me to say because I didn't, I didn't 
write or produce five. It wasn't really anything that I had any input into. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're actually very different games. Yes. And I think the way we did Wesker for the, for the remake suited that game very well. I think that the series has sort of evolved into a more of an action-adventure series than the sort of the, you know, psychological thriller series that it, that it was early on. Yeah. And I think the, the way we did Wesker for that was much more suited to that. He's also gone through all kinds of genetic manipulation, <laughs> and, and it's affected his personality quite a bit, I'm sure. Well, considering Chris keeps getting in the way of things, he gets really angry. <laughs> yeah. Wesker! <laughs> <laughs> Another question, and it comes from Ray Redfield. Chris, this might be your cousin. And for Peter, this is to you. <laughs> she asks, how do you feel about being responsible for bringing to life the most iconic antagonist in the Resident Evil series, possibly in the whole genre of survival horror? I loved playing Wesker. I, I, you know, it was a lot of fun. He's a great character. When I first saw the video images of Wesker, you know, with the, with the slicked hair and, the, and the, the sunglasses on in the middle of a dark mansion in the middle of night, uh, I was like, Okay, I get it. You know, this guy's too cool for his own good. So that's kind of what I tried to do. Another question I have is, the rivalry between Chris and Whisker, why do you think it's so captivating? I think part of it is that, you know, initially, particularly in, in the remake that, that Joe and I did, it starts out that they're on a team together. Wesker is Chris's commanding officer, and I think Chris kind of looks up to the guy. Yep. And the the level of betrayal that he feels you know, when he finds out what's been actually going on, I think that level of betrayal, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how it, it really is. It really yeah. is, uh, you know, kind of uh, a mythological betrayal in, in terms of the, I don't mean to get all screenwriting on you here, but the, the, the hero's journey, Wesker's betrayal of, of Chris is, is rather epic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, in terms of Chris's arc from, you know, he starts out, and you know Wesker's Wesker shoots a dog for for Chris. I mean, he kills one of the dogs that's about to bite him. So of course he trusts Wesker. Mm. He's maybe even a little bit of a father figure, perhaps. Yeah. You know, he's, he's got him. He's been training him. So Chris uh, obviously feels that he could go to that. That Wesker's got his back. That he is his mentor. And um, you know, in the the standard hero's uh, journey. Um, there is a period in any hero's story where the mentor dies, and then the the you know the the student has to go on, has to you know, complete his life without his mentor anymore. And I think that those moments are there as well. I mean, after uh, Wesker gets torn apart in the in the laboratory, uh, you know, now Chris is uh, thrust into a new role. And and that is not as the son anymore. He now has to become uh, an evolved being uh, whose mentor betrayed him. I think that is a, that's a, a a fundamental, fundamentally interesting thing for humans to see in any story. Wesker. So you've come, Chris. You make me proud, but of course you are one of my men. Thanks. Since when, Wesker? I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Since when have they been slipping you a paycheck? 
I think you're a bit confused. I've always been with Umbrella. And stars were Umbrellas. No, rather, my little piggies. The Tyrant virus leaked, polluting this whole place. And unfortunately, I had to give up my lovely members of stars. You killed them with your own dirty hands! You son of a bitch! No! Oh yes, dear. Just like this. Becca! Don't move! You... I don't think you want to die just yet. I have something that's of some interest to you. Alright, final question. Do any of you have a particular inspiration or someone you look up to? Peter Jessup and Ed Smarin. <laughs> 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 Gotta give them all love. Let's all group hug. <laughs> well, I mean, there are, there are icons in this industry, obviously. Uh, Mel Blanc was early yes. on hugely influential. He basically created uh, character voiceover. Uh, okay. Out there right now, there are a couple of very important voiceover people. Jim Cummings is great. Yeah. Noel Farmer. Yeah, Noel's good. Do you guys think of Nolan North? I know, I know Nolan North too well to to look up to <laughs> Nolan North. <laughs> I'm, I'm older than Nolan North, so. Rob Paulson is one of my heroes. Rob is great. I actually Rob. have, a, uh, I have a, um, a pinky, a stuffed pinky doll that uh, Rob signed the ears of. Uh, when my wife was working at Sound Deluxe, Rob used to come in to do voiceover all the time. And so she brought my pinky doll in one time and asked him to sign the ears. And, and he did. And he called and left a message on my, on my answering machine saying, um, Hello, Joe. This is, um, this, is, this is Pinky calling. Um, I realize I'm speaking to an adult male, but enjoy your doll. And, um, <laughs> Rob's a big, I'm a big fan of Rob's. Yeah. And those are my questions. We're going to move on to Crimson Ed Elder, who has more questions, and hopefully he won't bite your head off. <laughs> Hi, this is Crimson Ed Elder. I've got some questions for you that were posted at our website. If you could change one thing about your character, such as personality, style, costume, or background, what would it be and why? I think Wesker would be better as a brunette. It's <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> Did you feel the need to change or improvise any dialogue depending on the context of that particular scene? Yes, there were several lines, actually, that we had to discuss. One of my favorite lines, and I had a very long, uh, had a long discussion with the, uh, the directors from Japan about the line that I say to Barry, don't be a hard dog to keep under the porch, Barry. <laughs> and when the line came up, I, I, I said, I, I really, I understand what the line means, but I've never heard that before. And they said, oh, no, no, no. It's a very common American expression. <laughs> and I said, it is. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. and, and I said, there, there's there got to be a no, no, no. We want you to say it. That's the line we want you to say. I said, okay. Um, and it, it actually became my favorite line. And I remember just oh, wow. when I got a copy of the remake, the re-release of the remake, I got so excited to play it when, when Jill's name was dropping. <laughs> and here's him say that line. I was like, yes, there's the line. <laughs> so that's my favorite line. No, that wasn't part of our deal. Like I said, I have my orders. But it's not necessary to destroy stars. Don't be a hard dog to keep under the porch, Barry. 
What about my family? I will guarantee their safety. If I play my cards right. I'll always remember, it's a can of fizz. <laughs> Got any good news? Other than I'm still alive in this madhouse? No. Can't say it's much safer here either. We'd better secure our escape route first. There's gotta be a back door somewhere. Alright then, let's split up again. Hey, hold on a sec. Look what I've found. What? A can of fizz. It's sure to yellow and mellow those things. It's yours. Hopefully you won't have to use it. What about you? Oh, don't worry. I like the buddy system we have here. I think a lot of people will be very disappointed that you've not chosen the Jill Sandwich line. <laughs> the legendary Jill Sandwich line. Well, uh, that was... Yeah, that was on the list, too. <laughs> very close to being a Jill Sandwich. <laughs> Help! Jill! You in there? Barry? Get me out of here! The door's jammed! Stand back! <clears throat> Grab my hand! Barry! That was a close one. A second late, you would have fit nicely into a sandwich. Really? Thanks. But Barry, didn't you say you were going back to the dining room to find other clues? I'm glad and all, but why are you here? I just had something I wanted to check. Anyway, we should get back to searching for Wesker and Chris. Thanks, Barry. I owe you one. Don't mention it. Do you think it is possible to create a true Resident Evil movie or television drama that keeps to the true narrative of the series, rather than the atrocious... Paul no, Anderson well, trash. No, we can't say that. We can't. <laughs> sorry. That, uh, that, I just say, man. I read no, off the I know, I know. Sorry. I, it I, is I true. Script, you know man. it is. No, no, I know. That's my fault. I should we interrupt this broadcast of the Crimson Head Order podcast due to a slight technical issue. Whilst we fix that, here's a few words from our sponsors. Andrewville from Umbrella. Quick and fast relief. From Operation Raccoon City. Are you suffering from constant itching and the urge to devour human flesh? You need Sasprin from Umbrella, the common cure. May cause genetic compatibility with their burrows and mild drowsiness. Capcom getting you down with constant changes in voice actors? Escape to ecstasy with AquaCure from Umbrella. May cause mutation on a cellular level. We now return our listening residents to the Crimson Head Elder 4th Anniversary Podcast. Back to Peter Jessup. I think it's absolutely possible to make a film version of this. The the only problem would be, of course, everyone knows the plot now. So sure. the, the the surprise ending of, of Wesker being the bad guy is not really yeah. a surprise anymore. Yeah. Good point. As far as the reveal of Wesker ruining the movie, I feel like in remake that didn't hurt the game in any way whatsoever because we already knew it from the original. As far as that also hurting the game, I feel like there's been plenty of remakes of movies out there where they've had uh, certain major plot twists and those movies haven't been hurt either from the original. 
even though they've kept the plot twist. Particularly horror films. Yeah, exactly. Particularly horror films. You got Evil Dead as well and Poltergeist. Yeah, um, they've got certain elements in them from the original movie, and they also use it in the remake. I think fans will know going into it that that's obviously going to happen, but I don't think it'll hurt the movie in any way. Hmm. Who would direct? <laughs> well, you may well ask, Joe, and what better way to find out than to champion the one among you with the most Resident Evil knowledge as having the right to be a god? Well, at the very least, you can direct our new Resident Evil musical. But now we present the Crimson Head Elder podcast quiz. What do you know about Uroboros? How was the T-Virus leaked? Why did it contaminate both the lab and the mansion? As well as a train almost three miles away. What could anyone do? What do you think you're talking about? You must know about the G-Virus. I don't remember anything. Who did I kill? What's been going on? What are you talking about? I have only one question. I will reveal what I know. The night God. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Quiz, The Right to Be a God. Of course, there was absolutely no way we would allow these three legends of stars to leave our mansion without an opportunity for revenge. We, ha we have Barry seeking revenge from Wesker, Wesker seeking revenge from Chris, Chris seeking revenge from Wesker. I may need Jerry Springer to help me co-host this. <laughs> just, be glad, just be glad there's no folding chairs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Would the first member of Stars please step forward? Who are you? What are you doing here? Uh, I'm Joe White. I'm the voice of Chris Redfield, and Chris Redfield is my area of specialty. Right. Question one. Prior to joining Stars, Chris enlisted as a fighter pilot in the U.S. Air Force. However, in 1995, he was unceremoniously discharged. Why? A. Due to his personality, his views often opposed those of his senior officer. B, his severe bouts of vertigo. <laughs> or C, he was caught having an affair with his older female flight instructor and then went off the rails a bit after his best friend and radar intercept officer died during an ejector seat malfunction. <laughs> you might recognise that as the plot to Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that was a very misunderstood uh, moment in time, actually. That, that whole ejection was caused by me eating snacks in the cockpit. <laughs> I think the correct answer is A. You are correct, yes. The answer, <laughs> yes. Due to his personality, his views often oppose those of his senior officer. Yes. Question two. During Chris's short-lived career with the Air Force, which other members of STARS did he serve with, later to recommend he join the elite force? A. Helicopter pilot and rear security Brad Vickers. B. Backup man Barry Burton. Or C. Vice Captain Enrico Marini. Uh, I think it was uh, Enrico, wasn't it? I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. No, the correct answer is B, backup man, Barry Burton. Oh, sorry, Barry. Your third and final question. In 2003, Chris and Jill travelled to a remote village in southern Russia to investigate the presence of which creature infected with the T-virus? A, liberated circus bears. B, wolves. <laughs> C, meerkats. It was, uh, oh gosh... I think it was D, conservative right wing. No, I'm kidding. It was uh, Wolves. <laughs> Wolves, that is the correct answer. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm rocking this. Joe White, <laughs> the voice of Chris Redfield, you scored yes. a total of two. <laughs> Would the next member of Stars please step forward? Who are you? What are you doing here? Peter Jessup, the voice of Albert Wesker. My subject is Albert Wesker. Your first question. Which co-founder of Umbrella did Albert assassinate in 1998 with his co-researcher William Birkin? Was it A, Edward Ashford, B, James Marcus, or C, Oswald E. Spencer? <laughs> I'm going to go with A. I think you're a bit confused. I'm sorry, Peter, the correct answer, and this is portrayed in the game Resident Evil Zero, is James Marcus. Mm. Question two. When was Albert Wesker born? A, 1970, B, 1965, or C, 1960? 1970. I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. The, the correct answer, and I was surprised that he was this old, is 1960. He's the same age as Barry. He was born at the same year as Barry in 1960. Wow. Come on, Peter, you didn't know that? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's some pretty obscure <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Your third and final question. In December 1998, three months after Raccoon City's destruction, Wesker led an airstrike on Rockfort Island in the pursuit of which former Umbrella employee, now the human host of a new variation of the T-Virus? Was it A, William Birkin, B, Alexia Ashford, or C, James Marcus? It was Alexia Ashford. You are correct, as portrayed in the game Code Veronica X. Peter Jessup, the voice of Albert Wesker. Those are your three questions, and you got a total of one correct. Wesker! (laughs) (laughs) On to you, Ed. Okay! Ed's going to kick our butts. (laughs) (laughs) Would the final member of Stars please step forward? Who are you? What are you doing here? Hi, I'm Ed Smarin. I am the voice of Barry Burton, and my specialty subject is Barry Burton. Your first question. Barry has two children. Which of these is not... One of them. A. Moira. B. Polly. C. Bert. C. Bert. That is correct. There is currently no Bert Burton in the series canon. It's <laughs> a great name for a car dealer, though. <laughs> Come on down to Bert Burton Chevrolet. <laughs> on to question two. Barry joins the Elite Force Stars under what speciality? A. Tactical Ops Specialist, B. Combat and Firearms Specialist, or C. Communications Specialist? I believe he's a specialist in weapons, so whatever B was, that's my answer. B, you're answering Combat and Firearms Specialist, that is correct. Your final question. In Resident Evil Revelations 2, Barry undertook a lone mission to an unknown, isolated island in order to free his daughter Moira from a bioterrorist kidnapping. Which series main protagonist was captured alongside Moira and ultimately helped Barry defeat her captor? Was it A. Leon S. Kennedy, B. Chris Redfield, or C. Claire Redfield? C. You're answering C. Claire Redfield. That is the correct answer. You've done your homework. Well done. Oh. There's a second round we're going to come to now. But I'm in the lead, right? We currently have Ed in the lead on three, closely followed by Joe on two, and we have Wesker, unusually behind, on one, with Peter on one. That's what happens to the bad guys. They lose. Okay, on to round two. This is an open round, during which I'll individually read out five iconic lines from your Resident Evil dialogue, and it's first to their buzzers to identify each famous line with the character that delivered it. 
you all have your own personalised buzzers. Each one consists of an iconic line from your own Resident Evil dialogue. On entering the mansion, whose perceptive first words were these? Not, Not your, your ordinary, ordinary house, house that's, that's for sure. My little piggies. Stars Wesker. That was Chris. I think you're a bit confused. Wesker, you've become senile. Stars Redfield. No, that was, uh, oof. Um, Jill? I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. So the only one left to buzz in is Ed. A can of fizz. Stars Burton. I don't remember saying this. So my, <laughs> my answer is Wesker. That is the correct answer. Wow. <laughs> Not quite your ordinary house. That's Wesker. <laughs> Can you feel him judging you in the, in the background, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> it was 13 years ago, don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's understandable. It's okay. On to the second. Who among you is the budding chef with cannibalistic tendencies and utters the immortal line, that was, that a, was close a close one, one. a second, second late, late you would have fitted nicely into a sandwich. A can of fizz. Stars Burton. Oh, Ed, that's Barry. That is correct. <laughs> I cannot tell you, Ed, the controversy there was in Revelations 2. It was Claire. It was Claire. Yeah. And it's so out of context. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. On the clip that, that I remember that you sent me, I remember in the comments somebody made a mention of that. They said something like, what, no Jill sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barry, you naughty little cannibal. <laughs> On to the third question. Who refuses to recognise the equal rights of B.O.W.s with this insult thought to have died out long ago in the 70s? Come, Come on, on, you, you test, test tube, tube freak. freak. Wesker, you've become senile. Stars Redfield. Oh, I think that's a, I think that's a Chris line. Yes, you're correct. Well done. It's something I would have said as well. I entered uh, emotional stasis in the 70s, so... <laughs> <laughs> Ready for your penultimate question? Someone call Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's your worst nightmare from kindergarten. You still can't sleep at night recalling how he used to bellow at you. Time, Time for, for show, show and, and tell. tell. Get up! My little piggies. Stars Wesker. That was Wesker. That's yes. correct. That was yeah. Wesker. <laughs> That's my phone ringing. <laughs> Uh, let me just turn that off. Do you need so, to call a friend, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't need a friend. I have Google. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, final question. Then we will add up your scores to see who among you has the right to be a god. Who definitely won't be invited to Rebecca Chambers' Carnegie Hall piano recital, having been overheard describing her talents on the ivories with this review? Ah, oh, what, what was, was that? that? Wesker, you've become senile. Stars Redfield. Chris. That's correct. It was Chris Redfield's response to Rebecca's attempt to play Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> I was always uh, such a supporter of the arts. <laughs> Yeah, her first attempts at Moonlight Sonata, she actually kills it, doesn't she? Yeah, you should hear her now. Yeah, we're cutting an album. <laughs> In third, I'll be careful how I say this, we, we have Albert Wesker, Peter Jessup, closely followed in second place by 
Joe White, Chris Redfield's voice actor. But we have today's winner, and I think this really is justice, particularly with Wesker on the show. Finally, getting revenge, we have the voice of Barry Burton, today's winner, and the right to be a god, we have Ed Smarin. The right to be a god. That right is now yours, Barry. That sounded so dark. Oh, that was fantastic. It really sounded like it was tough to get out. Yes. (laughs) That concludes our special edition of our podcast quiz. And now back to the main interview. Joe, you're a video gamer. How do you feel about the current increase in downloadable content and online non-story games? I play World of Warcraft and uh, Steel Horse on the Paranold server, if you'd care to join me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) World of Warcraft just barely has enough story for me. It's still pretty much about, you know, you go and kill, you, you, you still have to go kill 15 of these and 10 of these and get the object. That's pretty much all there is. I mean, the reason I play World of Warcraft is, uh, as an artist, I love what they do with the environments. You know, it's just a beautiful, and I could run around. Sometimes I do. Yeah. I just get on my my flying horse and fly around the world in in World of Warcraft because it's just really, really gorgeous. One of the, the highlights uh, and the pleasures of playing the remake is those pre-rendered backgrounds that are like, you know, sumptuous paintings that really, for me, imbue the game with, with, a, with a history. It makes your mind wonder about the history of that mansion. Being sucked into that environment is a, is a huge part of the game. Oh, yeah. The, the atmosphere is, is one of the major characters to me in, in Resident Evil. And the music, you know, it's oh, wow. uh, so well done. If you want to talk about the, the downloadable games, I mean, the, the entire industry is moving to a, a non, where there's no, there are no discs, there are no books, there are no solid, hmm. uh, tangible yeah. assets. You know, everything is digital. And, and a lot of people are not crazy about that. They like to have a hard copy of it. So Sure, yeah. And it's, it, you know, companies don't want you to have that. Uh, yeah, it's cheaper and they, they can maintain control over their product. You know, you never, you never really buy software anymore. You don't buy software, you rent it. You know, even when you own a product, you're still, you, you know, the company is still constantly accessing, oh, yeah. downloading updates and, and fixes and, you know. There's so many games now as well where the, like Dead Space 3, you actually have to pay to see the full ending. Ugh. Peter, I noticed that you have done a lot of VA work in the sci-fi video game genre. Is there any reason for this or just pure coincidence? There is a reason for it. I, I, uh, I enjoy playing those kinds of games. And as far as uh, voicing video games, it's, it's not my main line of work. So when I do a, a video game project, it's got to be something that I enjoy. And so I usually will do games that I know I'm going to play. So that's the main reason. And I enjoy, you know, I, the sci-fi uh, role play or or strategy games are the kinds that I really enjoy playing the most. Are there any roles in your careers that stick out for good or bad reasons in both the film and video game medium that you are most proud of? One of my favorites um, was the Lord of the Rings uh, series. I did, I did a couple of those. And oh, you were, you were Gimli, weren't you? I was Gimli in one, and I was also, oh, what's his name? Uh, one of the elves the narrator of the thing. I think it's called, uh, it's the Lord of the Rings Return of the Witch King. 
if you look on uh, on YouTube and look at that, I'm the I'm the narrator, and that was one of the one of the elves. And it was just you know the, one of my uh, character flaws is that I'm I'm a, a complete uh, Anglophile. <laughs> I'll, I'll swap with you. I'll come and live in California. <laughs> everything British, everything Irish, Scottish, Welsh. Uh, I just I, I've always loved those accents. I just love the accents. So so to get to do uh, you know. Gimli, nobody tosses a dwarf in the engine. <laughs> <laughs> all those voices uh, was just such a such a great pleasure for me. That's the one thing I love about doing voiceover is I get to play characters yeah. that I would never ever be cast as uh, in, in live action. You know, I, I, yeah, it, that's the great thing about it. I always say I could always be a leading man <laughs> with with voiceover. Yeah, I could never without it. Ed, one of the things I liked that I saw the announcer at, I don't know if I'm dating it correctly, a 1950s American football game? That was actually 1960. That was the uh, that was a movie called The Express. I was the announcer for uh, the 1960 Cotton Bowl. You've got a perfect voice for that. Is there any role to stand out in your mind, Peter? I think, yeah, the, most that I, the ones I enjoyed the most, I did, uh, I got to play Superman, Justice League Adventures, and uh, The Vision in... Uh, the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the series. Those are both kind of cool. And I, oh, I got to be the voice of Mayor McCheese <laughs> uh, on an episode of 30 Rock. They had, they had me do the uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow monologue from Macbeth because it was the Mayor McCheese as Macbeth sketch. <laughs> Over the closing credits. That's, that's one of my favorites. That is classic. Are there any video game characters you would love to play or think the role was made for you? Hmm. Gosh. Yeah, I've just been pretty happy with the ones I got to yeah. do, actually. So I'm happy just to get any kind of work at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that concludes all the questions we have. So now it only remains for us to thank the voice actors for their time and efforts to celebrate Crimson Head Elder's fourth anniversary. I am the Oracle Dragon. We want to thank you all for joining us. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. This is Albert Wesker187. It was a blessing to meet every single one of you, and I'm humbled that I got a chance to meet you all. Thank you so much for everything you've done. And as a particular thank you, we've got for you some of the fans who'd like to say something to you about their appreciation for your professional work in Resident Evil. Over to the fans. Respond. Wesker? Selfish Gene from The Horror is Alive, calling from Australia. I've enjoyed the character performances in the Resident Evil remake since I was a teenager, and I still cherish the game to this day. Thank you, Ed, Peter, and Joe, and thank you for your continuous engagement. This is the Bloody Eye out of St. Louis, Missouri, USA. Ed, I feel you perfectly humanized the inner turmoil of Barry that showed with every lie. Peter, you portrayed Wesker with the right tone of a cold, calculating man. Finally, Joe, you portrayed Chris as he should be. Someone who is tough when needed, but also isn't afraid to show compassion. Hi, this is Ensei from Quebec. I think Ed, Joe, and Peter made an amazing work bringing back our favorite characters from Resident Evil 1, and in my opinion, they're the best actors to play Barry, Chris, and Whisker. 
This is USS Command from Kentucky. I love that Wesker's betrayal had greater impact due to Peter playing the role with a coolness that encouraged trust. With Barry, I love that the doubt and worry you could hear in Ed's performance as Barry's conflicted emotions built up as the game progressed. Joe White's Chris was not overwhelming. Sometimes it was calm and almost soothing when talking to Rebecca, which perfectly matched the atmosphere of the mansion. Hello there, this is Victor from Tijuana, Mexico. I'm just wanting to congratulate all three of you for your great job in the game. You made the characters sound realistic and true to themselves. Great job. Hi, this is Monique Alves from ResinuableDatabase.com. I'm a huge fan of Joey White's work because he is such a great human being. I love Peter Jessup as well. They are great voiceover actors. I just love those voiceover actors. They are the best people in the world. <laughs> so thank you for this amazing work. Hello everyone, I'm Ray Redfield from Malaysia. I personally love the natural flow in Joe's voice. While voicing Chris, it ultimately brings Chris to life. Peter's remarkable expression as Wesker is one of the most iconic antagonists in the world of survival horror games. I admire its outstanding performance as Barry. It's one of the most lovable characters in Resident Evil. You guys are amazing and you guys are important in giving life to those characters. Hey, this is Rob McGregor from Resident Evil Fan and New Blood. I'm a massive fan of Joe, Peter and Ed's work in the remake, one of the best and most consistent pieces of voice acting ever for the franchise. Unfortunately, I know you guys didn't get to repeat the roles, but I hope you take something away from the fact that we know when they recast the roles, they've played you guys as the samples for the new voice actors to match. So if that doesn't tell you anything about how good you did, then nothing will. Cheers, guys. This is Michael Chandler from Resident Evil Center in Spain. The world of Death Free Actor is fantastic for a simple fact of being part of the best Resident Evil for me. It's the Evil Remake, the best. So good work, it's Free Actors, and remember, Umbrella is behind everything. Hello, this is Neptune, one of the founding members of Project Umbrella. I'd like to say how great all three of you did. Each performance, in my view, had differing qualities. Ed, your role as Barry, extremely meaningful and quite deep. You could sympathise quite well with the personal anguish that Barry was experiencing, manipulated by Wesker. Talking of which, Peter, you had extremely hard shoes to fill. Wesker is easily the most iconic character from the Resident Evil franchise, and I feel that you brought your own gravitas to the role. Joe, your portrayal as Chris Redfield, I think, is underestimated. The role of Chris Redfield may on paper seem to be quite an easy role in that he's just your typical all-action hero, but there's far more to him. As the game progresses, you've been able to bring the realism of the realisation of what's happening to quite a complex character. Well, I hope I haven't embarrassed you guys, because I know you're modest. i better shut up, because you may just want to say something with regard to that little montage of love that we provided for you from the fans. I just think it was great to hear from all these people all over the world who are fans and, and uh, that uh, enjoy all this work and have, have followed things uh, along all this time. And it was great to be reminded of that. You, you do these things uh, as an actor, and you never really know who you're who you're touching with your performance or who you're having an effect on 
And it's always gratifying to have someone say, hey, you did a good job. That's mostly all we want as actors is just to know that that we did something creative that other people enjoyed. And, and, you know, that's why I became an actor to begin with was because I I like entertaining people. I like to see people smile. I like to make people laugh. Uh, And that's, you know, it's always nice to get a little bit of um, of uh, what would you call it? Support. Thank you so very, very much for helping us celebrate our fourth anniversary. It's been an absolute pleasure and privilege, a thrill to speak to you all together as well and, and to get that insight between you guys as well and, and to share your own personal interactions that we wouldn't have got had you not been so kind to, to all come in at the same time. So to the voice of Albert Wesker, Peter Jessup, Chris Redfield, Joe White, and of course, Barry Burton, Ed Smaran, thank you very, very much for joining us today. It's great to hear your voice for the first time. <laughs> it's really nice to meet you. That's so crazy. I have always seen everyone's names on IMDb and wondered who everyone else was because, you know, we never, our paths never crossed once when we were doing the game. I had no idea who any of you guys were, and it's been really nice. Everybody that I've met, and that's that's you two, that's Peter and, and Ed, both really rock-solid, nice guys. The next time I'm in Chicago, Ed and I are going to hang out, too. It's an absolute privilege to have your, your own personal insights that we would never have had uh, behind those characters, but also to have your professional work at the site, as we do with your file readings. That particularly really is an absolute joy and a privilege to have. Happy to do it. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Ah! Jill. Barry, I didn't mean to get you that excited. Right. Anyway, you should read this. Researchers will. There's a letter. June 3rd, 1998. My dearest Alma, let me first apologize for not being able to call you. A man wearing sunglasses didn't permit any phone calls. Sorry, Alma. I sit here trying to think of where to begin. How to explain in a few simple words all that's happened in my life since we last spoke. Already I failed. I hope this letter finds you well. That you'll forgive the tangents of my pen. This isn't easy for me. Even as I write, I can feel the simplest of concepts slipping away, lost to feelings of despair and confusion. And I have to tell you what's in my heart before I can rest. Alma... Please believe that what I'm telling you is the truth. The entire story would take hours for me to tell you, and time is short, so accept these things as fact. Last month there was an accident in the lab, and the virus we were studying leaked. All my colleagues who were infected are dead or dying, and the nature of the disease is such that those still living have lost their senses. The virus robs its victims of their humanity, forcing them in their sickness to seek out and destroy life. Even as I write these words, I can hear them pressing against my door like mindless, hungry animals. Alma, I have tried to survive only to see you again, but my efforts only delayed the inevitable. I am infected, and there is no cure for what will follow, except to end my life before I lose the only thing that separates me from them, my love for you. In an hour, I'll have entered my eternal sleep where there is peace. Please understand. Please know that I'm sorry. Martin Crackhorn. What do you make of it? 
Well, I guess we were right about this mansion being quite unnatural. You have a way with understatements. Where's the part that's torn off? Well, my only guess is that it was the most important part, and somebody didn't want anyone to see it. Let's continue our investigation. SAA received intel as to the whereabouts of Umbrella's founder. They got a launch missiles carrying the T-Virus in major cities across the United States. Here will become the place of Umbrella's demise. This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder.